How's everyone doing this morning? Doing well? Sounds like there's a portion of people are doing well over there, and there's a clap over here. All right, all right. There we go. Doing well. Hey, I'm excited too this morning. All right, there we go. <laughs> all the world just heard that on the, on the World Wide Web. That's awesome. I'm excited today as we finish up, not because we're finishing this book, but I love to get to the end of letters because at the end, you want to say things that you want the group to remember. And so as Paul gets into this letter, he's writing to this dear group in Colossae, the church that we understand is the book of Colossians, and he's going to remind them something. He's going to remind them of people. So he gets to the end of the letter, and he says, there are some people in my life that I want you to remember. And they have impacted my life in such a way that I'm going to write their names in Scripture forever. And for generations and thousands of years, 2,000 years later, their names will still be in the Bible. And they're there because they've done something that has impacted my life. And so he's reminding this group that's there, this, this fledgling church that's just beginning to, to stand on its own and, and Christianity is surfacing. He's reminding them to be the best you. And so as I think about this, I'm, I'm reminded of that all of us at some point in our lives will get to a point in our lives where we're on our last leg. Paul's on his last leg, and he's near, as we would understand, dying for Christ. And as he wants to write this church, he wants to remember that they'll come to the end of their life one day, and they too have a chance to make an impact while they're alive. Every time that I go to a funeral service, I enjoy... The, off, the opportunities when we put microphones up and we let people come up and talk in a microphone and a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a son or daughter, wife or husband, aunt or uncle, brother, sister, grandparent, whomever it is, comes up and they say something about this person. And as I sit there and listen, often I'm blessed, I'm encouraged. I'll say something like this, I never knew that about them. No one ever told me that about them. And so often I walk away from funeral services and I ask myself, what will they say about me at open mic time? What are the things that I have done by the grace of God in my life that have somehow impacted people around me? Then in the process of that, usually in the newspaper, an obituary occurs. And you and I will get one inch by one inch photo of us. And there will be these things that are said about us. When something is written about you, and when you get your one inch by one inch, what will they say about you? What will be the words on the pages? What will come to surface immediately when someone remembers your name? Here's what I know to be true. Generally speaking, at funerals, people who we love, who are dear to us, show up at our funerals, and generally speaking, those who have been peripheral friends and don't know them as well, at some point they'll remember, but there comes a point in time where the memories of that person, if they haven't had lasting impact on the next generation, they just kind of float away and we don't remember anymore. My hope is this, and my hope is this, as Paul writes this to the church there to us, that our lives continue to live way beyond the grave. And that people know that we love Jesus and that we have impacted the masses one by one. And the generations to come, their lives have a piece of the DNA of Jesus entrusted into them from us. Paul gets to this letter and all these people surface. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be put, put one in your hand. But turn to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to read a whole bunch of names. Paul reminds us of these people, and for some reason, they have impacted his life. Stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And keep in mind as we read these, there'll be some names that'll be difficult to pronounce, but they're there, and they're there forever, and they've been inscripturated forever. And somehow, in some way, as Paul gets to the end, he wants people to know that these people had made a difference in his life. 
Colossians chapter 4. Let's read out loud 7 through 18. Ready? Read. Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And for those at Laodicea and Heropolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And this letter has been read to you. See that it also is read in the church of Laodiceans. And that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. You may have a seat. Every single one of these people, every single one of them that Paul mentions, is remembered for something. You and I will be remembered for something. As I age, I think about this more frequently. Every day presents a challenge or a chance for us to be the person God created us to be. You have been given a certain amount of time on planet earth. So be the best you or live to your redemptive potential. Deep down though, you and I must ask these questions about ourselves. And the first question would be this. Think about this for a second. What will my life add up to? When it comes to the end, as you get to the end, what are the things that you've done for Christ? Who have you poured into? Who have you invested in? How have you used your skills? What kind of dad have you been? What kind of mom have you been? How about a son or daughter, a wife or husband? What have you done in such a way that your life remembers and it's added up? What are the things that you're building as a memory for generations to come? Here's another question we should ask ourselves every single day. What will I live for? Like even a 10-year-old person should be asking this. Ciao. What will I live for? Like, what's my purpose today? What has God called me to do as a human being on planet Earth? Or how do I want to be remembered? You see, the answers to some of those questions and a few more here will determine how we live our lives. Or... What will they say about me when I die? Like, pull away a second and just ponder that thought. Have a Selah moment. What will people say about you when you die? When they come to your funeral and they slide by your pictures on the tables and they see all these memories of you. Pictures when you were young, middle age, and if you live to be older, what will they say as they pass by? When they see those portraits, what will you be remembered for? Or... Why is it important that I even live? Like, why'd you show up today? Why'd you get out of bed? Why, why come to Grace Community Church? Why get back up tomorrow morning? Like, why is it even important for you to live? You see, those are the questions that we should be asking every single day. Because the answers to those questions is the purpose for our life. Does it really matter that we are here? Like, if you and I checked out this afternoon, would it really leave a void in this world for Jesus? Like, would it leave an impact? Would, would people somehow say, I miss the testimony. I miss him. I miss her. The impact that they had, I still feel it. But the world is different because they're gone. Would people say that about us? 
You see, time can never be given back. You will not have a second chance once you die. Hebrews 9.27 says, For man is destined to die once and then face judgment. There's no second chances, but as long as you and I have breath, we can live the way Christ wants us to live right now. And we can impact people around us. So Paul is standing near the end of his life, and now he's saying, here's some people that have impacted my life. Here's some people that have lived in such a way that I remember them, and even as I write to you today, these people have made a profound difference in the world. Look at your Bibles, and let's just look at this list of people that appear and see what Paul says about them. Look at verse 7. He says, Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. When I see Tychius, I think of the, 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 the characteristic, the attribute of a dependable people or a dependable person. Now pull away and see why I might say that. He has the responsibility of delivering this letter to this church. Now imagine if he didn't deliver that letter. There would be a book of the Bible that's missing. <laughs> think about that for a second. Think about along the way if he got distracted and you're like, hey, hey, you want to play Fortnite for four hours? Just get messed up here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. I'm supposed to deliver this. No, he was dependable and he followed through. Seriously, if he didn't, then one of the 13 books that Paul had written and was inspired by God wouldn't be in our hands today. He even says the same thing about him in the book of Ephesians. We thank God for Titius, who is a dependable person. Have you ever known someone that you could trust that their word was good? Do you know someone right now that comes to mind and say, if I ask them to do something, if I ask them to be there, if I ask them to come through for me, they will be there. I never have to micromanage them. They will come through. That's what a dependable person is like. So let me ask you a few questions to see if you're dependable. Are you often saying, I blew it and forgot to follow through? You've been given a task, there you are, here's the responsibility, and, and you walk away and you forget, and you're constantly going back to your boss, your coworkers, your wife, your husband. Oh, I, in the morning, honey, would you pick that up? Yeah, I got it, baby, I got it, I got it. And you come home, she says, did you get that? Oh, I forgot. Boy, that hit pretty hard, didn't it? <laughs> Dependable. Do you walk away from meetings and conversations knowing that if you have been asked to do something but hoping that someone else will do it? There's a task. We, we, we need a group of people that will do this and you've heard it, but you walk away, oh, boy, I hope someone else gets it. The dependable person says, I got it. I got you covered. Are those closest to you having to do your job knowing full well it won't get done in a timely manner, you're not very dependable. Or do you follow through with your wife and friends and bosses and you know that if they give you a task to do, it's done. And you tell them, you'll never have to follow up on me. I will be a dependable person. You see, your greatest ability is your dependability. Are you a dependable person? You know, the idea of dependable like Titius here, he followed through, he delivered the letter. Paul mentions him in Ephesus. He's a dependable person that's by his side. Dependable has the idea of loyal, trustworthy, secure, as good as one's words. It has the idea of being trusty, rugged, dependable. And as I was thinking about this week, these came to mind. These are boots. These are called Herman survivors. These are 41 years old. And if you look at the bottom of these soles, they're not even worn out. These are boots that my stepfather wore 41 years ago that he passed on to me. He wore them year after year after year after year after year. 
I have warned them year after year after year. They are dependable boots. They keep your feet warm. They give you good traction. And they don't wear out. Herman survivors. The world. There you go. Buy Herman survivors. Why? They're trustworthy. They're dependable. They come through and they do what they've been made to do. They are good on their word. Titius was that kind of man. Are you? Poet, what things have you said that you would do this week that you haven't followed through with? A dependable person writes it down, checks it off, gets it done. Paul mentions another person that we're familiar with. We looked at him briefly a few weeks ago. Look at verse 9. He says, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Onesimus, I would describe as a change person or change people. We touched on it two weeks ago. Onesimus was a fugitive on the run. He fled from his owner's house. He was a bond servant. He says, I'm not staying here any long. And he was a fugitive on a run, unsaved. And as he's running away from his master, as he's running away from Philemon, which the book of Philemon is about, Onesimus, he runs into Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. He's a changed person. And now he writes this letter to Philemon. And he says, Philemon, I'm sending you back this man named Onesimus. You might know him this way, and you might see him as a felon, but I got good news for you. He has been changed by the power of God, and I encourage you to welcome him back. And by the way, I know that you'll do that, Paul said in Philemon, and leave me a guest room, because I'm going to come and say hi too, and just see how you're doing with that. It's the picture of a changed person. I love that Paul was willing to look at this group and says, give people second chances. I have living proof. His name is Onesimus. And maybe your name is Jerry. Maybe your name is Becky. Maybe your name is Sally. Maybe your name is Jim. But Paul is saying, listen, don't throw people away. Jesus can still make old things new. Amen? That's the picture at the end of a life. Don't hold things against. I mean, Paul, think about Paul for crying out loud. Acts chapter 9, he was, he was breathing, Luke says, he was breathing murderous threats against Christians. His name was Saul. In other words, he was issuing, kill that Christian, kill that Christian, kill that Christian. And then in Acts chapter 9, verses 15, further along, on the road to Damascus, he's coming along and he meets God. It says the scales on his eyes fall off and he runs into the Son of God and he repents of his sin. This is Saul. Then it says just a few weeks later, picture this if you can, murderer, convicted murderer, mass murderer, killed brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, your aunts and uncles, gets miraculously saved on this road called Damascus. Just a few weeks later, they commission him for ministry. You're walking into your church that morning. Like, who's the guest speaker today? And out on the stage comes someone that killed your daddy. That executed your mom. That slew your son or daughter. And he opens up the word of God and says... Hey, turn to Colossians chapter 4. How many of you would check out? Paul says, hey, by the power and authority of Jesus, even felons can be converted. That's the picture that's here. That's the picture that's here. Never give up on a former felon. God's grace and mercy sets men and women free. Paul ended up dying for Christ, and now he says, hey, this runaway slave who is one of you is coming back, so listen and accept him. Drop the labels. Boy, we're so good at those, aren't we? 
when we live in a community for a long time, we, we, we go to school with people, and I don't know how many times I've heard people say, wow, I can't believe they know Christ because I remember when they were in high school 170 years ago, they were like this. <laughs> Stop it! Oh, I remember when they used to be married to him and I used to be married to her. You remember, remember? Like, stop it! Jesus' blood can redeem messes. And Paul is saying, listen, change people that are chasing after Jesus can make a profound difference in our world. You are never too far gone to be used by our God, is what Paul is saying. Read on. He he gives us another name. In verse 10, he says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Aristarchus would be loyal friends who stand up with you in the hard stuff. If you read the story of Paul and Acts, He was dragged off with Paul Aristarchus during the riots, even in Ephesus. Here was this guy. They would go in, and Paul would talk about the Lord, and Aristarchus stood by his side, and they asked him, are you with Paul? Yep, I'm with him. Bam, bam, boom. He stayed by his side. Even when they drug him out of crowds and riots, that Paul would often, that they would start around because he was proclaiming Jesus. He was always with him. He was with Paul when Paul was shipwrecked. And there's a passage in Acts chapter 19 that they threw pieces of wood off the side and, and, the, and the, even the slaves and Paul and Aristarchus were floating and they made their way in. Right beside him, covering his six, was this man called Aristarchus. He understood what it meant to cover his brother's back and even if it meant his own life. I wonder if we'll ever be known as those kind of men and women. We few, we very few, who stand when things get difficult and remain loyal to our brother and our sister. Who stand even though it might mean the death of us. And he said, I praise God for Aristarchus. He knows what it means to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you have someone like that in your life? As I was prepping for this message, it was easy for me. It's my wife, Anne. She is my greatest cheerleader, my greatest supporter. She stands with me when the arrows come my way. She believes in me. She speaks life into very, very dark times. She has labored alongside, and together we have been able to advance the gospel of Christ. She has never wavered once on her faith and belief in me. And when she tells me, baby, I believe in you, I will run through 10 brick walls walls for her. That's the picture. Are you that kind of person? Are you the person who who is loyal, who stands in the hard stuff? And then he gives us this name that alongside of Aristarchus, and he says, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark is a restored group of people or person. You see, because Mark deserted the team which caused a rift between Barnabas and Paul in Acts chapter 15. But later on, 10 years later, and even Philemon 124, he calls him a fellow laborer. They had a rift. They were separated. But I love the way that God restores people. And as Paul's looking, he says, hey, we might have had a difference. There might have been a difference between us. But by God's grace, listen to me, he's with me now. God has restored, God has reconciled, and he still restores and reconciles relationships. Amen? No matter what you've been through, people can be restored, Paul is reminding us. They are back together after being parted for many, many, many years. And then he gives us a name, and if we're not careful, we think it's the Jesus, but it isn't. Jesus, who is called Justice. Jewish believers. And you would say, why is he mentioning that? Let me say something here. 
this was the beginning of Christianity. So the majority of people alive, Jews, were still clinging on to Old Testament traditions. And so the Jews were looking ahead. They didn't think that Jesus, who had walked on planet Earth, was the Messiah. And so when he walked on earth, if you were a Jew and you looked at Jesus who proclaimed and says, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And if you as a Jew said, Jesus is more than a political king. He's a human being that's flesh and blood and he's living on earth and he is the way. If you were a Jew and you converted to Judaism, to Christianity, you were basically cut off by your family. They thought you were crazy. You're telling me that you believe in Jesus? We call them today messianic Jews. And he says, by the way, there's a few of them. And one of the names of, that's a Jewish believer is justice. He doesn't consider living a comfortable life. You see, he's taking a stand when probably the rest of his family says, there's no way that's the Messiah. You are a fool to believe that. Oh no, justice says, Jesus is the savior of the world. And Paul is looking at this group and saying, there are some, even Jewish people, even people who you will think will never convert, convert and follow me. Why? Because they know that Jesus is the Messiah and these people are invaluable to. Why? Because they were willing to forsake all. They were willing to leave mother, father, brother, sister, family, inheritance, job for life, and the well-being and care of dad and mom. Why? Because they love Jesus more. And so Paul says, yeah, don't forget about justice. He stood when no one else would stand for Jesus. He goes on, he gives us another name through this list. He says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends greetings. He is always wrestling in what? What's it say? Prayer for who? Okay, come on, come on, come on, follow me, come on. Nose down, eyes up. Look at verse 20. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is always wrestling in what? What does it say? Prayer for who? For you. Then he says that you may what? What's he want you to do? Stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully what? Assured. He says, by the way, before I close out in this letter, I praise God for Epaphras. He's a hard-working prayer warrior. Prayer is hard work. There are people that come to mind. In fact, the first person that comes to mind is my wife, Anne. Maggie Judd comes to mind when I think of a prayer warrior. I think of Hazel Chapman before she went home to be with the Lord. But people come to mind when I think of prayer warriors. Here's what I know to be true. People will run to another Bible study. People will run to a small group. People will run to a one-on-one encounter. People will run to a retreat. But you can't get people to run to prayer. (laughs) Prayer is hard work. We can always find a reason that we don't want to pray. And so he says, there's this man called Epaphras. He's an intercessor. He's a prayer warrior. He believes that prayer precedes breakthrough. I can always tell the depth of a person's walk by their commitment towards prayer. People who pray walk in the power of God. Remember last week when I said, devote yourself to prayer? Remember I said, it's the picture of the man who's in a tug of war, or a woman in tug of war, who takes the, the, the tail end of the line, wraps the rope around him, digs in, and says, let's go. Is holding on and they will not let go. And they don't even let go even if they're drugged through the mud. They get back up and say, let's do it again. I saw that this weekend at Wild at Heart. And it came to mind. I watched teams, drag teams, and the guy on the end, he right to the end. That's the picture of being devoted to prayer. And he says, Epaphras is that kind of person. 
This is the person who says, God's not finished yet. This is the person that says on social media, I pray. This isn't the person who just sees it and nods their head. They acknowledge it. You person doesn't know that you prayed for them until you told them you prayed for them. You want to encourage someone? Post pray, post pray. And when people see there's a body of believers praying, it puts this unusual confidence in their steps. Amen to that? Listen, let's use social media for good. I know you're looking. And you might say, oh, I saw it. If you read it, here, let me tell you how it's spelled. P-R-A-E-I-N or I-N-G or E-D. All kinds of ways. Or I prayed. When you tell someone you've done that, it puts courage in their veins. And he says, Epaphras is that kind of person. Then he gives this brother who stood by his side. He says in verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the what? What is he? The doctor. And he says, and Demas sends greetings. Luke is someone who's a servant with special skills. I love this because Luke could have had a very lucrative job during this time. Doctors during this time had lucrative incomes or the potential for lucrative incomes. But you know what he did? He spent the majority of his time tending to the wounds of Paul. And let me tell you, Paul had a lot. He was getting whipped. He was getting lashed. He was getting beat up. He was left for dead on numerous occasions. And Luke says, I'm not going anywhere. I got your back. I got the scope. I got the bandages. I'm ready to come alongside and patch you back up and get you back in the game. Everywhere he went, He was getting whipped and stoned and beat up. And Luke went with him, stayed by his side, and offered his gifts. It's people with special skills. He knew his gift, and he used it for the church. He used it for God. And the church is the people. I mean, maybe you get the gift of of being an electrician. Maybe you get the gift of, of, of cooking. Maybe you have the gift of of painting. Whatever it is, maybe it's teaching. Whatever it is, use it all for the glory of God. Work as if you're working for the Lord. Find a way to use your gift for God. Otherwise, hear me out. Why live if you're just doing it for yourself? What's the purpose of that? So Luke was this man who went on later to write the book of Acts. Who went on later, or earlier, even later... during around the same time that write the book of Luke, he wrote two books of the Bible. And then he says, there's this man named Demas. Now, I want you to turn forward to Timothy. Just a couple books forward. I'm going to share you something in regards to Demas. Second Timothy chapter 4. He said, there's this man also, Demas. He sends greetings. However, he wrote this later about Demas. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes this to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. In verse 10, for who? What's the word? Demas, because he loved this world, has what me? Deserted me. And has gone to Thessalonica. And he says, Crescens has come to Galatia and Titus to Damascia. And he says, only Luke is with me. He says, but Demas has deserted me. It's a good reminder when I read that to read the full breadth of the Bible because here's what I know. People who quit on you and Jesus. It's those people who are once on fire for the Lord. And John later said in in the book of Revelation, they've lost their first love. This is so heart-wrenching for me because when I read that his name is inscripturated forever in Scripture because he was a deserter. Keep in mind, you and I are one bad decision away from destroying our testimony. Don't be that guy, don't be that woman that people say, whatever happened to Demas? They used to be so alive in Christ. Do you remember? They were always on the front lines. They were always serving. They were always praying. They were always in. They were the first ones there and the last ones. Has anyone seen Demas? You see, it's a slow drift away. And now Demas, who once followed Christ, has deserted Christ. 
And then he gives mention here of another person that makes his line of people who have impacted his life. Verse 15, he says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. He's reminding us that we can be hospitable people. The gift of hospitality, you know, it's the person that says, Host it at my house. It's the person when there's a small group that needs to meet and we need a place to meet. It's the person that says, my house. It's not the person that reads through and says, I hope someone else gets it that I don't get stuck with it. It's the hospitable person that opens their homes to exchange students. It's the hospitable person that welcomes in teenagers. It's the hospitable person that welcomes in people into their guest rooms and they don't charge a night to stay. They're not an air R&B. They're just in B. They're, 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 they're a Jesus hospitable room. It's hospitable people. It's the, it's the ladies who come in on Thursday morning and walk in our kitchen and they cook up food. And if you didn't even know that we did that, you would never know that they were here. They go in and they show up every Thursday and they get on the stoves and they use their gift and they make food and then they take it out here in the West Foyer. And if you didn't know it, we feed the underprivileged in our community and they sit in our tables and they are full when they leave. They use the gift of knowing how to cook hospitable people. And Paul is saying, the church needs those kind of people. And Nympha. She's that kind of person. She opened her house so that this fledgling church could start. Do you see the people he's remembering? When you're asked to host, let me ask the question. Do you jump at it and say yes? Anything. When someone asks to use your stuff, do you hold tightly to it? Oh, that's my best tool. Can't give that out. Oh, that's my best, best leaf blower. Oh, that's my best lawnmower. Oh, I'll charge them, but I would never do it for anything. But I'll price a good price for them. You know, this weekend we went to Western Maryland with a group of men. And we needed some trailers. And so your first thing you think about, here's how I go, I think. Who would be willing to donate us a trailer? And not worry if it got scratched up or got a little mud on it. Because it gets a lot of mud on it. Who loves Jesus more than they love their trailer? You know what we did? We just contact John Smith. John Smith lets us use his trailer. And John, I don't know if you're in this service, but it got muddy, buddy. And it almost rolled down into the pond. <laughs> but praise God for about 20 men who grabbed a rope and pulled the truck and the trailer up the hill. But hospitable. Let me, are you so attached to your tools? They're shiny and clean. Oh, man, if your kids touch them, oh, don't touch that. Hospitable people. You see, a life of godly legacy, Paul is telling us, will never be accidental. Your legacy has the potential to live on after you die. Seriously, will your name be brought up not just by your kids and praise God that it is or your wife or your husband and praise God that it is. Will your name be brought up by other people because of the breadth of your reach and love for Jesus 20 years from now? You see, these individuals kept the message alive by dying for the message of Jesus and Paul mentions them. You and I still benefit from their testimonies revealed in Scripture 2,000 years later. My greatest tragedy would be for my life to end the moment I die. Can I explain that to you? Like, if I die or you die, and everything that we knew about Jesus and all our gifts and all our talents wasn't passed down to the next generation, the next generation. If you go to the gravesite, one of the saddest tragedies that I walk to is when I go to gravesite and someone says this, boy, they really had a gift to cook. Boy, they really, they had a secret business insider trade and they take it to the grave and never pass it on. 
it would be a tragedy if we didn't pass on this gift called Jesus and mentoring and discipling and caring and showing. Say, you know what? You can be an electrician. I'm gifted in that. Let me show you how to do it so you can do it for Jesus. If our lives don't live on beyond the grave, hear me out, it is a tragedy. I thought, I thought about this two years ago when my dad passed. And even more so a year ago in September when my son, our son Josh and I drove to Maryland in September. We just wanted to go back to my dad's gravesite to remember a year later. So we drove one day and came back the next. And it's just this small little gravesite in Leitersburg, Maryland, and has this gate. We pulled up in the car, and Josh and I were kind of quiet. We got out, opened the gate. I just wanted to honor my dad a year later. And we worked our way down through this gravesite, and we came to these tombstones, and there was my dad's tombstone. And it struck me as Josh and I stood there quietly, and then we began to talk about dad and pappy. And Josh said some things about Pappy, and I said some things about my dad. And then it struck me. There was Brown, Charles James Brown Sr., I'm junior. There was his dad's tombstone. There was his brother who was a Brown's tombstone. And far over here was my grandfather's tombstone, Brown. And it hit me like, I'm standing here. These are all Browns, and I'm the next Brown up. <laughs> and... This is the next brown after me. And it struck me like, what happens when the weeds grow up one day around my tombstone and maybe an oak tree comes in and covers it up and this gravesite is no longer used and we've seen them because there's no room anymore. Will people remember me? And will it really matter? Will I live beyond my grave? Will it take them having to take a, a weed whacker and, and go in and, and pull roots out and to find, where, where's Jim Brown? Where's, where's, where's Jim Brown? Where, where's, where, I know it's here somewhere. Where, where's Jim Brown? Or will they say, I know where Jim Brown is. It's living in him. It's living in her. It's living in them. His legacy lives on beyond his death. Why? Because he invested Jesus in their lives. Listen, is that what they'll say about you? Will your legacy live on beyond the tombstone? Live you to the fullest. Here's the problem with legacy. Way too many people who do poorly get press time. Way too many people who aren't even Christ followers are filling the pages of our press with accomplishments. We are the ones who have the unfair advantage because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So Paul's about done and it's like, oh, wait, wait a minute, church. And they're all kind of standing there. They're probably like, Whoa, this is, this is hard-hitting stuff. Wait a minute, one more, one, one more. He says, like, wait, one more. Look what he says, in, and, and he says, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Then, then he says, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. One more, one more, one more. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the what? What's the word? Ministry you have received in the Lord. I'm not exactly sure what that ministry was, but here's what I do know. He was thinking about giving up. Can you imagine him standing there as they're giving all these reports and he's thinking, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. This work's too hard. It's just, just too difficult. Like, man, holy cow. I want to I retire every Monday. I want to quit every Monday. Every time I talk about Jesus, people hate me. And he's hearing from Paul, and he's standing there, and he's like, whew, made that lesson. And finally he says, Archippus, what, 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 what? <laughs> and you, Archippus, I know you hear me. Don't you dare quit. Can you imagine Archippus? How could he quit now? I love Paul. Like, he's a straight shooter. Like, he tells him, like, hey, if you're slipping away, don't you dare think I'm not coming after you. My wife, Ann, will say, Jim, you remind me of Paul so much. So he says, don't give up. It's the person who says, listen, 
I'm thinking about quitting. Paul said, no, 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 don't give up. Don't ever give up. Archippus, it is hard to follow Jesus. Archippus, you might want to walk away, but the calling of God is on your life. Don't give up. That's what he's saying. You know what? He's saying that to you today too. So lastly, like Paul's near the end, it's like, He's almost done, and by, and by the way, back then they had a stenographer, and it was probably a good thing, because Paul most likely, they think he was in house arrest, but he could have been in, in a chain prison, but either way, he was locked up, and so he had a stenographer, and so he was probably speaking to this, to the stenographer, and he said, write this, write that, write this, write that, and that stenographer was just like, and then Paul said this. Before he closed the letter, look what he says. He says, I, Paul. Write this what? What is it? Greeting in my own what? And then he says, remember my what? Grace be with you. So I picture this mighty warrior God. If you could care less what people thought about him, but they wanted, he wanted them to know he loved Jesus, who was willing to die for Christ because to die meant to live who would one day die and most likely have his head cut off because he followed Jesus say, hey, 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 Billy, give me the pen. <laughs> and he wrote. And so as I read this letter that, that day to the Colossians church, I often wonder, like, this real neat, legible handwriting by this stenographer. And then Paul. Because he's got chains hanging on his wrist. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Why, why, why? Why did he say, remember my chains? Here's why I believe it. He wanted him to know, I'm good. It's worth it. Listen, remember my chains? I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to die with Christ on my lips, so don't worry about me. But I want you to know this. Grace be with you and you and you and you and you and you. Why? Because Paul was saved by grace. Paul understood it's grace that changes lives. And maybe there were people in this church who just needed someone to say, it's going to be okay. Grace to you. This man, this incredible servant of God, closes this book and reminds them, that you can never be so far from God that he won't take you back. What will be your mark on the world? If you died today, what will it be? Are you coasting at the end of your life? Let me just pull away. Like These blitzes that we're doing, are you even signing up? And if you're not signing up, are you really even on mission in your neighborhoods? Or is it just all about you and you? This whole book, I began 12 weeks ago, and I said, I pulled out a whole bunch of linchpins, and this was one of them, and I told you this. I said, Jesus is the linchpin. And I told you that if you had a, a truck that was pulling a trailer and you wanted the trailer to stay on, that you had to put a linchpin to make sure it wouldn't come loose. And then I said this, that Jesus is the linchpin. He holds the whole world together. Listen to me. When you come to Jesus, he is always with you. He holds it all together. And then I reminded you, even as the worship band comes out, I remind you to these truths. Just listen. I remind you of some of these things. I reminded you that you're seated with Christ, that your feet dangle with Jesus. And I reminded you to look at your life, to surrender your life, to repent of your sin. And then, I'll, then, and then Paul, Paul reminded us of these things. He says that in marriage, he says, make sure that you're being the best husband possible. Make sure you're not embittering your children. 
Make sure that you work as though you're working for the Lord. Make sure you're devoted to prayer. Make sure that Jesus is the center of everything. And when you die, Paul reminded us, make sure that they know that you love Jesus. You see, when your eulogy is spoken, hear me out, hear me out. When your eulogy is spoken, what will you be known for? What will they write? When they put that one inch by one inch picture in the Goshen News and something is written, what will they say? My hope is that they gave their life away for Jesus. When you walked in this morning and your bulletin was this quarter inch piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to pull it out. And as we close this service today, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you don't have that quarter inch, we don't want you sharing it. Just tear a piece of paper. Don't tear your Bible off. But get a piece of paper. Everybody, everybody. This is for everybody. This is your individual commitment, not you for your husband, your wife, for, or your husband for your wife. This is you. And I want you to do something. I want you to prayerfully answer these two questions. The first is this, I commit to this. What what is the thing? From this day forward, God, I've been sitting in the chairs too long. Here I am, I commit to this. And the thing I'm committing to is gonna point people to Jesus. And then I want you to, at the bottom, I repent of this. What is that error you need to repent of? I want you to think as Pastor Jeremy leads us and take my life and let it be. And here in a moment, there's going to be a cross that's going to be brought out in both auditoriums right in the center. And there are going to be some tubs. And what we're asking you to do is as a symbol of commitment, you're saying, Lord, I commit to this and I repent of this. And symbolically saying, you can depend on me, God. I'm coming through. I'm following through. So stay seated, and Pastor Jeremy will instruct you, and reflect, and then as the cross, after it comes out, bring your commitments.